0: Look, we had an amazing week this past week, and we've been praying as a church. We've been praying one o'clock for one uh, minute uh, every day. Uh, Lord, will you draw children and their families to yourself through Vacation Bible School? And we saw God answer that prayer in so many different ways. Uh, Hundreds of you serving, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children and uh, students Uh, grades 6 through 12, gathered with us this week. And uh, just kind of to summarize that, uh, Thursday night we celebrated Vacation Bible School family night uh, to a packed room here. Uh, A couple of thousand people were in this room, families and children, many of whom are not connected to any church, but they were here with us. And uh, we see that as an answer to prayer that God was drawing children and their families to himself. Thursday morning, uh, we presented the gospel intentionally and specifically to third, fourth, and fifth graders. And uh, the count continues, but uh, over 52 children came to faith in Jesus Christ, repenting their sin and believing in Christ. students, got together Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night, and uh, the gospel was presented, and 12 students gave their life to Jesus as Savior and King. Now, friends, uh, that is an amazing work of God and His grace, and we are thankful that He has drawn those to Himself and is preparing even more. Uh, if you served during Vacation Bible School, I just want you to know you are my hero and I thank you. Uh, if you served and you are here this morning, if you served those five days and you are here this morning, you get a double and a triple honor because there are a lot that were like, well, it was a little bit hard to get up and at them this morning, right? Um, this guy had a hard time, and uh, but it, it it's so... Wonderful! Again, Vacation Bible School this week is not a program. It's not just something that we put on the calendar to do. Uh, Vacation Bible School twists and turns thrive. It is the church on mission, serving God's glory on mission in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. And I am so thankful to be a part of this family of faith and this church. Um, And uh, more than that, I'm thankful that God did what only God can do. And uh, on top of that, you know, we've been raising money for Church Multiplication Center, Kurt Breeland uh, Church Multiplication Center in South Sudan. And uh, the children began to raise money for uh, this uh, uh, Church Multiplication Center. And most of the time, we, to, to energize the students, the pastor, me, um, uh, I eat weird things. I, 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 eat gross things, things that Miss Julie, uh, doesn't like. And, uh, Edie won't kiss me for a week after that, that kind of stuff, just bugs and stuff. Um, and normally just to hype, hype it up, hype whatever project is, I, I have to do that. Uh, this year, I didn't eat a thing, and our children raised ten thousand dollars for the Curb <laughs> Braylon Multiplication Center. Guys, I got to tell you, that is amazing, and uh, I'm just thrilled about all that God has done this week. Go ahead and turn in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter six. We're going through Mark's Gospel together and looking at uh, this uh, this series of messages. We're looking at the mission that God has given us, and it is the mission that God has given us to serve God's glory in our world. And and literally, the church is God's plan to change the world. We at First Norfolk, we serve Hampton Roads to change the world. And we serve Hampton Roads by serving God's glory to Hampton Roads. Um, And this week at Vacation Bible School, we saw that Um, The theme or one of the themes was, you know, twists and turns. What is that about? It's games. Uh, So, during Vacation Bible School, we looked at different games. This is a game that I've never played and yet I play all the time. This is the wheel from the game of life, right? How many of y'all played the game of life? I, I've never played it, but can I tell you something? The game of life was established, uh, was created in 1860. 1860, and it's gone through some changes over that time, but it is essentially the same game. Uh, created in 1860, what the, the, the idea is you start the game and you try to progress through the twists and turns of the game of life. And Get to a destination that will satisfy you and that's that's kind of the game and and you'll have setbacks and step-ups and all those kind of things and But it's all predicated on chance Uh, You make a decision at the beginning of the game I'm going to a or B and then everything else depends upon the spin of the wheel and wherever that wheel stops six that's how many spaces you move through the game through the game of life and so you spend your time thinking well I need a three 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 but you get a two or I need a six 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 and you get a six it's all about chance Today, as we look at Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 6, here's what I want you to know and what I think is important. Now, we're not playing the game of life. We're living life. Now, first of all, it's not a game. It's real life and we're in the midst of it. And every person who is breathing air today is living life. The question is, are you living life in such a way that leads to a satisfied life? Are you depending upon chance to get you there? Fate, if you will, to get you to satisfaction. If you remember several weeks, uh, we looked at this message Uh, through Mark's gospel on being blessed and how when we are connected to Jesus, we are blessed. We are soaked in satisfaction, consumed with contentment. When we're connected to Jesus, when we follow Jesus, when we obey Jesus, then it doesn't matter if the wheel stops on a five or whether the wheel stops on a 10 or a seven, wherever that wheel stops, If we are connected to Jesus, if we are following Jesus, if we are obedient to Jesus, then we know that seven is going to lead to satisfaction. We know that six is going to lead to satisfaction. We know that 10 is going to lead to satisfaction. The key is not where the wheel stops. The key is our obedience to the king. But sometimes... Obedience is hard. And sometimes we don't have a lot of want to when it comes to obedience. We may be connected to Jesus and and that means that we have received the gift of forgiveness of our sin uh, by applying, asking God in His grace to apply the death of Jesus on a cross as the payment for our sin where we have received new life, we're new creation in Christ because through faith in Jesus, we've been uh, made fit for God's family and we have a new life and a new heart and a new way of living. So we're connected to Jesus. We were dead in our sin and trespass, but now by God's grace, we've been made alive. We've been made fit for God's family. We're sons and daughters, no longer strangers or foreigners to God. We're connected to Jesus, and as those who are connected to Jesus, it's our calling to obey Jesus. As those who have received a new heart, this Second 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know this, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We are new creatures in Christ. We have a new heart, and it is a heart that is bent toward obedience. We want to obey Jesus, but sometimes our want to is weak. (laughs) Even as followers of Jesus, sometimes our want to is weak. Again, like many who woke up this morning, who had worked all week in vacation Bible school, you woke up this morning and you know that the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some, and so you you knew that. Oh, I got to get to church today. I got to get to church. I want to assemble with the family of faith. But your want to was weak. I have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. I've got another one whose name is Lucy. This morning, Nora woke up, and her want to was weak. Then she was at our house, spent all week at vacation bible school. Got up this morning and. From the moment she walked out the door to get in the car, they tell me she began to cry. They got into the parking lot of church and uh, from the driveway to the parking lot, she was crying, not just a little cry, not just one of those fake cries that sometimes happens, that y'all do. Not one of those fake cries, but a really way, wow wow kind of cry. I get a text, said, Daddy, are you in the office? Yes, I'm in the office. Can you come get help, Nora? She's crying. And so I go out, and and she's crying. And I open the door and say, what's wrong? And she continues to cry. Even Poppy couldn't fix the cry. And it was a wet cry. And it was a drippy cry. Her want to was weak. Sometimes our obedience gets that. it, it, It hits a weak spot. Now whether it's because the circumstances around us or the circumstances within us, our desire to obey Jesus, even though it's part of us as followers of Christ, even though it's part of who we are, it gets a little, our want to gets weak. Let's read how the want to of the disciples got weak, beginning Mark chapter 6, verse 45, immediately so Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with fish and bread, uh, just a few loaves and a few fish. And he's, he's fed 5,000 people and, and, and everybody's hanging around. They're saying, wow, this is amazing. Even the disciples were there and they're like, let's hang out for a while. This is cool. And verse 45, immediately in the midst of all the cool, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat. So here's the thing, Jesus made them. They didn't want to, their want to was weak. He said, y'all get in the boat and go. And they were like, but we want to stay. And he said, no, you get in the boat right now. He made them get in the boat. And go uh, before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he departed to the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw the disciples straining at the rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch, which is about three o'clock in the morning, about the fourth watch in the night, Jesus came to them walking on the water, on the sea, and he would have passed them by. And when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, a phantom. And they cried out in fear, not faith. Verse 54, they all saw Jesus and were troubled. But immediately Jesus talked with them and he said to them, be brave or be confident or be courageous My translation says, be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. And he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened let me deal with verse 52 right quick they did not understand the fish in the loaves because their heart was hardened what didn't they understand they didn't understand they saw the power of Jesus but they didn't see the person of Jesus they knew that Jesus had I mean he he could do stuff but they didn't understand it was a reflection of who he is they understood the power of Jesus they, they missed the person of Jesus who is Jesus he is God Like God gave the children of Israel manna in the wilderness, Jesus fed the multitude with loaves and fish. Job 9 verse 8 tells us that only God can tread the waves of the sea. And yet here is Jesus treading the waves of the sea because he's God. The disciples saw the power, but they missed the person. Now, as we look at this passage, I I want us to just kind of, kind of piece this together there is a mission that God sends us on every day and it is it is not optional for a follower of Jesus this is your mission your mission is to serve God's glory uh, in the world in which you live to serve God's glory, to honor Him, to to make Him known among your friends and your family, your coworkers and your classmates, to share the good news of His rescuing love with everyone you encounter as often as you encounter them, to to help them experience the help and the health and the healing that only God can bring when a person places their faith in Jesus. We, we, We need to understand that this is our mission every single day. It's the mission of Jesus. Jesus came on mission. To give eternal life to as many as God had given to him. And he's given us that mission. And you might say, well, I'm not made for that mission. If you, sorry. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been remade for that mission. You have been made a follower of Jesus so that you can live the mission. You've been empowered by the Spirit of God. You have been rescued from the depths of your sin and the condemnation and the consequence that your sin demanded for eternity. You have been brought into the family of God, even though you're not, you weren't fit for it. You've been brought into the family of God so that you're no longer a stranger. You're a son or a daughter in the family of God, not just so you can sit here and say, Ooh, I'm cool. No, you, you have been made part of God's family so that you and I can live this mission to serve God's glory in our world. That's right. Every day you and I have an assignment and every day we should feel the weight of that assignment of us being obedient to that assignment. But sometimes our want to is weak. We really do want to obey. We really do want to live the mission. But sometimes our want to is weak. And I think what we see in this passage is going to help us. Understand that the power we need comes from the person we have encountered in in Jesus Christ. The power we need to overcome the lack of want to. And to pursue obedience. Remember this. When we're connected to Jesus, we will follow him on mission. When we are connected to Jesus, we will be blessed. We are blessed when we are obeying Jesus, no matter what the the wheel of life, no matter what number it, turn, it, it it lands on, if we will obey Jesus in that moment, whether the wind is at our face or the wind is at our back, whether everybody's cheering or everybody's booing, whether the culture says, man, we love the ethic of the church called First Norfolk, or man, we hate the ethic of the church called First Norfolk, regardless of the state or the or, or the the circumstance or the content of the culture in which we live, if you and I determine that we will say yes to Jesus and obey Him, then we will be blessed. We will be soaked in satisfaction, consumed with contentment. But it gets hard. So as we look at this, I I just want us to see a few things and then we're going to have some application. All right. So the first thing is obedience is hard sometimes. Uh, and, And it would be disingenuine of me or anybody to say obedience, if you're really spiritual, obedience isn't hard. No, I believe if you're really spiritual, sometimes obedience gets even harder. Obedience is hard. Obedience is hard for the disciples. They were told by Jesus, you go across the lake. Go across Sea Galley. They're three or four miles out in the middle of the sea, and they're rowing and rowing and rowing and not making any progress because the wind is at their face, and they can't get where they need to go, Bethsaida. And by the fourth watch of the night around 3 a.m., they're worn out, and they're weary, and they're tired, and their want to is about disappeared. They were in that headwind not because they were disobedient. They were in the headwind because they were being obedient. Obedience doesn't lead us to ease and comfort all the time. In fact, obedience many times leads us to face the Colosseum of lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Obedience is hard sometimes. Well, I mean, life is hard sometimes, right? Look, I've been, I pray for you, and uh, again, get one of those blue cards, write down a prayer request on the back. Whatever, whatever I can do to pray for you, I want to pray for you. I've been praying for you. I've been pr- praying in this way for about three years or four years now. I'm praying for you, and can I tell you, I grieve for you because life is hard. But can I tell you, when obedience is hard and life is hard, can I, I've got good news. Jesus sees us. He, he sees us. Again, you pick up the story, Jesus is up on a mountain, he's praying. And then verse 47, it says that, that Jesus saw the disciples straining at rowing. They were in the struggle, and Jesus sees them. And it's a supernatural, telescopic vision. He is up on top of a mountain. He he sees in a supernatural way the struggle that his disciples, his followers were going through. And friends, make no mistake, no matter what the circumstance of your life, wherever you are, Jesus sees you. He sees you in your struggle. He sees you in your victory. He sees you. What you're going through, you're not going through alone. Jesus sees you, and he cares. Not only did Jesus see his disciples, he didn't stay on the mountain and say, oh, let's see how they can manage this. Jesus came off the mountain to help his followers, his friends in distress. And he did it. In the darkest of the night, when their need was at its greatest, and in an unexpected way, Jesus demonstrated his heart of love and care for his disciples. He got to the base of the mountain where the sea meets the shore, and he didn't stop there. And he put his pinky toe in the water and he changed the molecules of the H2O with every step. He did his divine creative work of power to alter the shape, the form, the molecular structure of the water so they would hold him up. And he hiked on the waves three miles out to where the disciples were. Because he saw them in their distress and he cared. And whatever it is you're going through, as a follower of Jesus, make no mistake, Jesus is not indifferent and he is not distant, but he sees you and he cares. And he applies his power to help. Where you are, whatever it is you're facing, Jesus applies his power to help. Now, verse 48, the disciples are looking and they see this guy walking on water. They think it's a ghost as, you know, makes sense. And they cry out and fear and Jesus begins to talk to them. Again, showing his compassion. Jesus begins to talk to them and says to them, why that double statement? He talks to them and he says to them, Is Mark just being repetitive, and trying to fill up his, his uh, uh, word count for the book or what? You know, I mean, why does he use both? He uses both of them because both of them give a different nuance about what Jesus is doing for his disciples. He sees that they're afraid. He sees they're weary, he sees they're tired, it's late in the night, their need is great, their want to of obedience is waning, and so Jesus hears them cry in fear and he responds by saying whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 hey Peter, Matthew, Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew, it's me. Don't be afraid. Be brave, have courage. It's me. I have a granddaughter. Her name is Lucy. Lucy's a few months old and she spent the night at our house last night. Um, It's awesome, right? Um, It was awesome for us. It was the first, I think this was the first night that mama was away from baby. Um, Probably wasn't. It was good for Elizabeth. But anyway, we're, we're, we're holding her, and she's crying. You know, babies cry. You remember? Babies cry. She was crying. And what we would do is, I'd, you know, I'd carry her around a little bit, or Edie would carry her around a little bit and, and carry her around, carry her around. And we don't just carry her around in silence. What do we do? Oh, honey, it's all right. Sweetie, don't worry. Soothing words, comforting words. I'm right here for you words. If we listen closely, Jesus is speaking over us those words. If we listen closely to Scripture, he speaks those words to us every day. Because he cares. And because he sees us in our distress, because he cares about us in our distress, and he shows it through his words, he also demonstrates his divine person. He demonstrates his divine person in what he says. He says, says, be courageous. Ego I me, it is I. Now, it is I in the Greek, I believe, is more than just Jesus saying, dude, it's Jesus. Ego I me, we find in John's gospel several times, I am the light of the world. I am the bread from heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And those ego I me's, I am's, are statements that connect us to what God said to Moses when Moses was walking in the wilderness, sees a burning bush. He goes up to the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. He goes up to the burning bush, and, and it's God speaking from the burning bush. Moses is like, okay, what do you want? And God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, well, who do I say sent me? And God says, Exodus. 314 God says tell him tell them I am sent you Now while that's in Hebrew in Greek we discover that ego i me I believe in this context is the same thing Jesus is saying look you see me walk on water Job 98 it's all, it's something only God can do here I am in the midst of the wind walking on water and and you need to be courageous because the I am is right here. God himself is in your presence. Don't be afraid. I've got you. I've got this. Amen. So today, when our want to of obedience begins to wane, when the struggles of life becomes painful and, 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 and we become um, disoriented because of circumstances and struggle and uh, look, we need to We need to hear from Jesus what he says here i in this in this uh, narrative the uh, the um, it changes from first person to second person in the narrative and and that gives us indication that somebody who was in the boat was telling Mark what was happening that's that's Right? So, so somebody's telling Mark, Mark, this is the way it happened. I believe it was Peter. I believe it was Simon Peter, and I believe that much of Mark's gospel comes from Simon Peter. And so Simon Peter's telling Mark, look, this is how it happened. Oh, Mark, I wish you could have seen it. Oh, Mark, I, I wish you could have been there. Yes, he was walking on the water. I couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe it. It was amazing. Good gracious, I wish you could have been there. Yeah, we were freaking out. We were afraid. We didn't know who that was or what that was. But then we heard his voice. And it's the voice of Jesus. And he said, hey, be courageous. Be bold. Be confident. It's going to be okay. Here I am. Don't be afraid. I think as Peter began to tell Mark, Mark got excited. I get excited because I hear Peter's voice in this. and, And I think if Peter were to tell us, some application for this. If Peter were to say, look, I walked through this, I lived through this, can I tell you what I think ought to happen for you to help you remain firm and strong in serving God's glory on mission in your world? How that you can... Even when your want to wanes, you can experience the power of Jesus to overcome your lack of want to and step forward in obedience. Here's here's what I think Peter would tell us. First, I think he would say, you you need to trust Jesus when obedience is hard. You got to trust Jesus when obedience is hard. I, I know, I know that... There are so many things that we can put our confidence in. But most of us put our confidence in ourselves. I can do this. I can do this. Or maybe some of us were putting our confidence in the spin of a wheel. Oh, fate will help me out. Maybe we're putting our confidence in somebody else. Our husband or our wife or our friend or our friends, maybe we're putting our confidence in the circumstances. Guys, I think all of us understand that if we're putting our confidence in circumstances, we are going to be sorely disappointed quickly because our circumstances shift like the force of a wind on the Sea of Galilee. So, where do you put your confidence? Jesus tells us here. The Greek word there in uh, verse 48, where Jesus says in my translation, New King James, be of good cheer. It, it's a term, it's a, it, it's a verb, and this is a command. It's a verb, and it means be confident, be bold, be brave, be courageous. How can we be bold and brave because our confidence is in the person of Jesus and in his power Amen. no matter what you're facing no matter what hits you square in the face know that you can be bold when your confidence is in Jesus after all he's the one that saved you We're talking to followers of Jesus. He's the one that that, that rescued you from death's grip. He's the one that that, uh, took the emptiness inside of you because of your separation from God, created by your own sin. And he built a bridge between a holy God and a sinner like you through his death on the cross, his payment for sin's debt, your sin's debt. And he led you to repent your sin and put your faith in him. And as he drew you to himself, you embraced him as your king. And you were swallowed up in the grace of a loving God who brought you into his family. You're no longer a stranger. You're a son. You're a daughter. I'm part of God's family. He has saved me. So I can trust him. I can trust him my confidence is in Jesus, when my confidence is in him, then he applies his power to my life. And I know obedience is hard, but man, trust Jesus. And obedience is hard when you're rowing and rowing and rowing and you seem like you're not getting anywhere fast. Have you ever been there? I'm being obedient to God, 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 but it doesn't seem to be working. Just keep on being obedient to God and trust Jesus, trust him. You gotta move on, I think Peter would say, you gotta trust God when obedience is hard. The second thing is you gotta focus on Jesus in the struggle. Look, when, um, the easiest thing for us to do is focus on the struggle. Of life. It's the easiest thing. It's what we do. It's what, it's what wins elections. I'm getting ready to hit election season. This is what wins elections. What wins elections is focusing on the struggle. This is why everything's wrong and I'm the solution. This is why everything's wrong and I'm the solution. This is why everything's wrong and I'm the solution. This is how people get elected. They focus on the struggle. It, it's easy for you and me to do. I, complainers outnumber doers 10 to one any day of the week. (laughs) You've been hanging out at the same place I've been, right? (laughs) It's easy to focus on the struggle in your own life. You're rowing and rowing and rowing and you're not getting anywhere fast. It's easy to focus on the wind. The wind is the problem. Or if you're one of the fishermen among the disciples, you say, well, you know, the problem is that tax collector can't row the way way he should. If he would just row the way he should, we'd be already at Bethsaida by now. It's easy to focus on the struggle. But as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of the living God, as those who have been called to serve God's glory on mission, empowered by Jesus Christ himself, our focus is not on the struggle. Our focus is on our Savior. You know, other uh, stories of, uh, of, of Jesus walking on the water in the other uh, the Gospels, um, you, you get a fuller picture of Peter. So Peter, in the other gospels, Peter is in the boat, and they see Jesus. Jesus says, "Be of good cheer; it is I. Don't be afraid." And, and 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 Peter's like, "Oh my goodness, it's Jesus! Oh my goodness, he's walking on the water. Do you see? He's punching his brother Andrew. Do you see this? He's walking on the water. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. He's standing on the water. Is there a rock down there? No, there's not. Is he on a sandbar? No, there's no sandbar. We're out in the middle of the ocean. It's it's thirty-five feet deep to the bottom, or fifty feet to the bottom. He's standing there. Oh my goodness, is he? What? What's happening? Is there a wire? Up there? No, there's no wire. He's just standing on the water. And then Peter asked Jesus the thing that everybody asked, nobody else had the courage to ask. Jesus, can I come to where you are? And Jesus, you know, Jesus was was laughing a little. He had to be. (laughs) There's Peter again. Come on. All right, let's go. Peter swings his legs over the side of the boat and he looks at Jesus and the very thing that Jesus was doing to the water to make him stand on his feet as the creator of the universe, he began to do for Peter. And under Peter's feet, the water began to solidify for that moment. And Peter for a moment begins to walk on water Jesus applied his divine power for the benefit of Peter And as long as Peter's focus was on Jesus man he began to stay he was standing strong but then we don't know if it was the wind in his face or the splashing of his uh, of the water around him we don't know exactly what it was but Peter begins to get distracted And the minute he's distracted from his focus on Jesus, he begins to sink. Now that's great for a preschooler, it's great for a child. Can I tell you it's probably even greater for an adult to take this lesson today. The minute we're distracted from our focus on Jesus is the minute we begin to sink. We need, we need our focus on Jesus. We we keep our eyes upon him and we can stand firm in the face of the wind that blows against us. We we can stand firm. By the way, do you know Jesus didn't get rid of, didn't take them out of the storm. Rather, Jesus got in the boat and went with them through the storm. Jesus makes it easy for us to focus on him. He's right here with us. Holding us close, speaking words of encouragement to us if we focus on Jesus. Now, people have asked me, there's an anniversary thing happening in a couple of weeks for me. I didn't plan it. I don't know anything about it. But the last few weeks, people have been asking me you know, in a sneaky kind of way, Eric, if you had a favorite Bible verse... You know, maybe a, a life verse. What would that be? <laughs> They'd never asked me anything like that before in my entire life. <laughs> no, they, they asked me that, and the problem is there's not one. I, I have so many passages that I love. You know, Ephesians 2, the whole of it. The Psalm 1, the whole of it. Psalm 23, that's kind of a gimme. Romans 12, love it. Romans 6, love it. Romans 13, love it. I have all these passages that go on in my head and my heart and that that I return to. Psalm 34, I just return to these passages over and over and over again, and I love them and they're kind of life-giving for me. So when they ask that, I give them like 22 Bible verses and (laughs) passages that, take your pick. Any of them will work for me. But one of those passages would be Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying, now there are a lot of people who are heroes in the family of God because they were faithful when things were going poorly, when obedience was hard in the midst of the struggle. They were faithful to obey God. They're heroes, that's Hebrews chapter 11. Then he turns and in Hebrews chapter 12 he says, and if you want to be a hero like that, if you want to, no matter where the number stops on the wheel, you, you want to stand firm and strong, here's, here's how it happens for you. You, you want to you serve God's glory on mission in your world, here's, even when your want to obey is waning. Here's what needs to happen. Hebrews 12. Therefore, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, casting off every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and set your gaze on Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Turn. Your eyes on Jesus. Set your gaze upon him. Set your focus on him. And he will spur us on to obedience. He will spur us on, even in the struggle, Thank you, Lord. to faithfulness. Today, my prayer for us is that we would have courageous obedience like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, we, we live in a culture that's crazy, right? I mean, weird times, weird, not worse than it's ever been, but as bad as we've seen it, right? The ethic of our culture has shifted so that it's further apart than our ethic as followers of Christ. It puts us in conflict with our coworkers and our classmates and, and the, the common ethos of our day. And, and all that's true, but we can't compromise because we, we want to be obedient. And to be obedient means that we're going to follow what God's word says. And, and, and so it gets tough. It gets hard to be obedient. But not harder than what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3. Here they are, they're three Hebrew youths who were carried out of their homeland to a foreign land in Babylon. They've been put in service in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And while they're serving in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar gets this great idea. He's going to build an idol, um, and it's going to be made of gold, and it's going to represent him. And any time the band begins to play, all the kingdom is going to bow before this idol and worship this idol. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are followers of God. We're stuck in that struggle, and obedience was about to be hard. But listen to what they said. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. They said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer you a court in this matter. If that is the case, if that is the case, that if they fail to bow down to the idol, they're going to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. They said, If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from your burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. And they said, we're going to obey God. We're going to trust him, even when obedience is hard. And we are going to focus on him. Jesus shows up in the furnace, by the way. And they walk out unsinged. When we focus on Jesus in the struggle, he leads us to be faithful. So my prayer for us is that we would have that kind of courageous obedience. That we would stand firm. That we set our focus on the person and the power of Jesus And he would help us ride the wind on mission for him. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, I thank you that your word is clear and it's powerful and true. And I pray in these next few moments, as we worship you, that you would be glorified, that you would hear our cry, that you would encourage our hearts, and that you would propel us toward faithfulness. I pray, oh God, that in these next few moments that you would once again turn our eyes toward you and in the struggle we would find strength and in the hardness of life we would find satisfaction in obeying you.